The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 344 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, your host. I'm a physician retired from practice. Our topic today is online support for family caregivers caring for mental health challenges. For family caregivers, mental illnesses in the family members can create challenges at every stage of the life of the person they're caring for. Uh, Mental health challenges in children, teens and young adults are serious, serious challenges for family caregivers because young people aged 15 to 24 are more likely than any other age groups to experience mental health problems and addiction problems or just addiction problems. 70% of mental health problems start during childhood and adolescence and 20% of addiction problems start at age 15 or older. Then there's mental health challenges in adults. They're serious challenges for family caregivers, for example, because anxiety and depression may be caused by the worries of life, or they may be the results of serious mental illnesses that sometimes have tragic consequences, such as suicide. Mental health challenges in seniors are also serious challenges for family caregivers because Seniors' memories that seem to be failing or seniors' minds that seem to be having difficulties making decisions may simply be the slowing down of age or they may be the early signs of serious illness, illnesses, illness such as dementia. Now, coping day in, day out with challenges like these all too often exhausts family caregivers physically, psychologically, and financially, which is why our topic, online support for family caregivers caring for mental health challenges, is so important for family caregivers. To discuss the topic, our guest is Krista McKinnon. Krista is a mental health specialist in the capacities of family counselling, peer support, mental health recovery education, curriculum development, group facilitation, and community organizing. And she does these things both online and also face-to-face. She consults with mental health organizations internationally, delivering and developing extensive mental health recovery training. She's developed and runs an online support and education community called Families Healing Together, or one word, dot com. Families Healing Together. Now, Families 
Healing Together is designed for families experiencing mental health struggles, and it's designed to focus on empowerment, recovery, self-care, boundaries setting, and realizing strengths. She also serves on the board of directors of the International Mental Health Society online, and she's a longtime devoted yogi, a Canadian expat living in Costa Rica, and the proud mom of three incredible boys. So welcome to the show, Krista. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Great. First question for you. Please tell us more about your life and career. Krista? Okay, so you mentioned that it's really common for people to have mental health problems kind of erupt between the ages of 15 and 24, that age group. Well, that's what happened to me, actually. So I was 16 years old when I uh, had a what's called a psychotic episode, and I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder and hospitalized very much against my will. And... Um, that experience at such a formative time in my life profoundly shaped me in ways that um, I could have never really imagined. Uh, so my family at the time really struggled sort of with, with coming to terms with that. You know, they told my family that I had a biological brain disease and would have to be on medication for the rest of my life, that I would always need treatment uh, I'd probably need to be on a disability pension. So it was very much uh, a doom and gloom prognosis. And my family are um, incredibly loving people who really wanted to, to help me <laughs> as, as best they could and um, very much followed the sort of the orders of the treatment team um, and the doctors around what would keep me well, which basically was a pretty strict diet of lithium and some, some antipsychotic medications. And uh, for me, in my own personal body, soul, and self, I, I rejected the entire, um, the entire labeling of the, me having this disorder. I didn't want to take the medications. Uh, which is a really common reaction uh, of people who get diagnosed um, and who are struggling with, with what gets labeled as mental illness. So the family dynamics in my home around coming to terms with all of that and all of our different opinions on what was happening were really, really challenging. And I later went on to study social work. And I, when I graduated from, uh, from school and I was looking for a job, I saw a job that was to be a family counselor, and it said psychiatric survivors are encouraged to apply. Mm. And I had never heard that term, psychiatric survivors. And at that point, you know, I was doing really well in my uh, mental health. I wasn't on medication, and I, um, I was very, very healthy and doing well. So I didn't identify as, as having a mental illness at all. Um, so when I saw this term psychiatric survivor, they're encouraged to apply for this job. It kind of rocked my world because that so resonated with how I felt. Um, right now I'm only going to stop you, Krista, because time is a tyranny in this business and I've got a couple more questions for you, but we will be coming back to sure. the recovery story as well. Sure, now, sure. My, ne my next question to you, which actually flows very well from your answer to my first, is please tell us more about the community, Families Healing Together. Krista? Okay. 
Well, basically, um, I kind of created an online community that provides support that I wish that my family had had and didn't. So the, the community Families Healing Together is an online space that is growing and its offerings are um, expanding. But at the moment, what it offers is one flagship eight-week class called Recovering Our Families. Uh, and then there's another class called Recovering Our Hope. So basically, people register for the classes, and they receive um, curriculum and materials that come both in their inbox and then are also mirrored on a private password-protected webpage. And in that space, when people read the materials, uh, they're able to respond in the private space. So there, it's, it's a class that's sort of dual. There's all the curriculum and content that's the class. And then the other piece is the, the incredibly rich conversations that the families have as a result of responding to the curriculum. Now, when you say conversations, are those conversations via the keyboard? In other words, do people type in or do they actually talk to you by voice? Yeah, no, it's all keyboard. So it's, it's what's called asynchronous, which means that nobody has to show up at any specific time. Um, it's, it all happens via text. So, I mean, via the written, when I say text, I mean the written word typing on, on the keyboard which people have found really quite helpful because it's often hard for busy caregivers and, and families to show up at a certain time, you know, work schedules. And so the beauty of the class is that it, people, you know, comment and respond to the material at three in the morning. And there's people from all over the world in the class, all different time zones. So it's really kind of nice to not have to be stuck you know, we all show up live and, and talk at a certain time. There's, there's yeah. a certain freedom and liberty to doing it in this way where people can show up and respond to the material at their convenience and when it works for them. Great. Now, I want you to tell us more about the online services you provide. You've already said quite a lot about them, but just tell us more about the kind of conversations, the sorts of things that people respond to, mm -hmm. kind of way forward. Krista? Sure. So the... Generally, people register for the classes, and then they're in the, the online classes, and they learn a whole new set of skills and a whole new way of viewing mental health, uh, mental health problems. And as a result, sort of some, the, the behaviors that they have in their own life sometimes change, and things change. And, and so online, in the class, people talk and support one another and discuss the, how they're integrating the new theories and ideas and skills into their lives. But also, uh, I coach people on Skype now. So because people who take the class are from all over the world, you know, I see, I coach people on Skype, um, video chatting with people from, you know, Europe, New Zealand, Australia, um, all over. And, you know, basically it's very, I'm surprised how similar it is to doing face-to-face -face work. Um, because you're not physically in a room together, but when you're seeing somebody and connecting on Skype, it's, it, you know, it's not so different than being a counselor face-to-face. -face. So the Internet is a really, it's, been a, it's quite, quite a gift <laughs> in a lot of ways for us. Do you find that, in fact, people are more inclined to talk in the way you've been describing it, exchange ideas with each other via the internet than they might be sometimes in a group or sometimes in a face-to-face -face conversation. What, what do you think about that? Mm, that's a really great question because it's actually true. Um, it's called the dis disinhibition effect, actually. So when people are connecting online, um, 
often they're connecting under a pseudonym or, you know, there's sort of a, um, there's a safety, you know, you're in your own home, in your bed, in your pajamas maybe. And so there's a, there's a less of a mask and people really do uh, express themselves quite thoughtfully and beautifully and deeply uh, when they're writing. So I, I've, I've, the content that is, this on, that is in this online class, I used to deliver in person in groups and it's, it's really different. I, I mean, I would actually say that the response to the curriculum online can be even more profound than the kinds of responses I had in person because I think people really, really think before they write when they're responding to the curriculum. And that presumably is because they're not being pressured by yeah. time. There, there isn't a, That's some true. Busy, busy healthcare professional uh, trying to get them to respond so uh, right. he or she can get on with the next patient kind of thing. It's that mm-hmm. sense of being able to think, yeah. share, and actually expose important things, things that mm-hmm. are important to you, the person mm-hmm. who's doing the typing. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's absolutely the case. In, in a, you know, in, when I would run the material in person, it was, it was often a two-hour group. So, you know, there's so much to be said and people have so much to express, but there's, you know, maybe 15 people in the group and you just, well, you know, hosting a radio show, you kind of have to cut people off sometimes in the interest of time. So I think that you make a really good point that there's also that time factor when people are, it's text and it's asynchronous. They don't have to show up at any specific time. They really can think and be thoughtful and take their time responding. Now, uh, uh, very much on cue in light of what you've just said, we have to now take break. <laughs> Right, okay. <laughs> Which makes Perfect your timing. Point. Yeah, beautiful point, yeah. So we'll do that now. Um, this is where I also say this is where we have to pay the rent. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley. My guest is Krista McKinnon. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and sharingtheburden.ca. Stay with us. We're coming back. Ready to chat about your favorite soap operas? The daytime discussion is here with Dan J. Kroll and Soap Central Live. For the past 15 years, Dan has been dishing and discussing on SoapCentral.com. And now he's taking the talk to the airwaves of the Voice America Variety Channel. He'll go behind the scenes with the biggest stars of daytime, along with guest commentary from the Soap Central columnists. And we'll take your questions and comments during our live show. Soap Central Live, every Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What if there was a radio show that could demonstrate how we can cut your taxes in half without diminishing needed government services? One that could explain how to create tens of millions of jobs at no cost to taxpayers, as well as fantastic yet easily affordable health care. Side effects include cutting crime rates nationwide, providing better education for our children, international peace and harmony, and protecting your private, personal data from government intrusion. Tune in to Libertarians Working for you with Arvind Vora weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. 
Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista McKinnon. Our topic is online support family caregivers caring for mental health challenges. Now, Krista, let's talk about the challenges experienced by individuals with mental health issues and also by their family caregivers and also what recovery means for individual families because you were talking about that in, in the previous segment. So first question, please give us some examples of mental health issues and the challenges that are created for the individuals. Krista? Mm-hmm. Um, well, often people, I mean, particularly the 15 to 24 age group, but really any age group has sort of what, what could be called an existential crisis, a, a crisis of meaning and um, trying to understand their place in the world and, and who they are and, and how do they fit into this world, which, you know, we have a lot of problems here on planet Earth. So there are some, you know, some sometimes sensitivities to the realities of war and uh, you know, capitalism and, you know, all sorts of things. (laughs) Um, people just are trying to figure out their place in the world. Sometimes people have what's called a spiritual emergence. Um, and these, these kinds of existential crises or spiritual emergences, they, they can look like what gets called psychosis. Um, sometimes people, hear, will hear voices and get a, receive a diagnosis of schizophrenia from hearing voices. Um, people, uh, will have, um, conditions like obsessive compulsive disorder or anxiety, uh, bipolar disorder. Like I mentioned, I had been diagnosed with as a child. So, uh, the, the, they really vary. Mental health challenges come in all shapes, size, and, and, and colors. And responses to them come in all shapes, size, and colors also. I mean, there are different, there are many, many ways to look at what gets labeled as, as schizophrenia or any of the DSM psychiatric illnesses. Right. Now, I'm going to ask you the, basically the same question, but this, this is a question about the challenges created for the family caregivers of the in types of individuals you've been talking about. And so please give us some examples of the challenges for family caregivers in the circumstances you've been talking about. Krista? Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, sometimes some of these um, mental health issues, what, how they can look in someone's life can be very, um, very problematic or it can appear very dangerous. So for example, if somebody is, uh, hearing voices that tell them um, that the world is a dangerous place, you can't go out there, people are after you, they're going to get you, that person might really shut down and lock themselves up and not, not really tend to their wellness or their, their needs as, as a human being in the world um, and slip into really dark depression. So for 
this is just one example. I mean, there's so many, but for, for a family that can present a lot of challenges because the challenge becomes, how do you help somebody who's experiencing something like that in a way that both encourages self-responsibility and autonomy, but also respects their self-determination and their choices. So it can, it can be very complicated and messy. And this is where the um, very, very controversial topic of forced treatment and coercion in mental health comes up. So, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges that family members face is, you know, when and how do you help somebody who maybe doesn't want help or doesn't, doesn't see things the same way that you see things? And another big challenge that I see for caregivers is um, letting go of preconceived ideas of, of who this person, who they love, their daughter, their son, whoever it may be, um, who, who they thought they would be and what they thought they would be doing in their life. You know, so I, I meet a lot of families that are really, oh, he was going to be a doctor or, you know, I knew he was going to run the family business and now he's just, you know, really unwell. And there's so much, there's so much grieving that families face around this preconceived idea of who they thought the person that they love it would be <laughs> or would do what they would do. Um, so that's another big challenge that, that families have to face. Now, that leads into my next question, which is, focused on recovery mm-hmm. and this is a kind of multi-part question but I'd like Chris to please you to give us some examples that show what recovery means for individuals who are experiencing the kind of issues that you've been talking about and what actually recovery Im- implies for their family caregivers. Krista? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um well, recovery, one of my favorite definitions of recovery comes from New Zealand um, and their government kind of uses Um, the definition, living well in the presence or absence of illness. Um, And it's just a a great statement on on how how to try and live life, you know, living well in the presence or absence of illness or adversity or or anything like that. Um, So, I mean, for families, what recovery means for families, families are on a parallel recovery journey. So their relative might be the one who's diagnosed with bipolar, schizophrenia, obsessive compulsive disorder, whatever, um, but they also are are in their own experience of recovery as they figure out how they relate to that, who they are in that, how they want to be. Um, they might have had, again, preconceived ideas of how their family life would go. And maybe some of these troubles have really changed the, the way that they thought their life would look or their family would look. So recovery happens for both. I mean, in, in for people who are um, recovering from psychiatric diagnoses, uh, there's there's a, a thing that's said in the survivor movement, the psychiatric survivor movement and the peer movement, which is we all want a home, a friend, and a job. So it's, you know, it's about being included in community and feeling like life has purpose. So I think that can be said, you know, in for both, fam, for caregivers supporting someone who's in recovery from a psychiatric diagnosis and people in recovery themselves, because often family members feel very isolated from their communities when these things happen because of stigma and, and all sorts of reasons. Krista, I want to go a little bit further in this. Um, there are a lot of charities um, across North America um, collecting funds, mm-hmm. raising funds for the cure. Right. Now, what's the difference between recovery and the way that you've described it and what seems to be in the minds of these charities when they talk about cure. Krista? That's a great question. 
Well, I think cure, I think the idea of cure is, is linked to the idea that mental illness is a biological brain disease that can be cured by the pharmaceutical industry. Um, so I think those charities um, generally uh, are, you know, raising funds for research into the uh, pharmaceutical drugs to help an emotional condition. Um, the recovery model, you know, isn't looking for a, a cure. It's like, like the definition of the, the New Zealand uses as a country. It's about living well in the presence or absence of illness, or I would add adversity. So, you know, from a recovery perspective, it's, it's not so much about curing anything. It's about how do you live um, with minimal suffering and with greatest joy. <laughs> right. Now, I want to follow up on that point. Um, I've heard a definition of recovery that goes something like this. What recovery actually means for these conditions that my previous profession can't cure mm. is the ability to live life to the fullest as you are. That is to fulfill everything you want to fulfill, mm -hmm. um, to do things that you want to do, to be yourself to the maximum extent possible. Mm -hmm. Now, how realistic is that? Do you agree with it, Krista? What do you think? Absolutely. I think it's absolutely realistic. And I think it's all of our birthright to be able to do that. And I think that the people um, supporting those in recovery uh, really need to consider that, that that's, that is what, that is recovery. Um, because the, what happens in families is sometimes who somebody is called to be and who they're meant to be and where their potential is bringing them is very different than maybe what the family had imagined. And there has to be a coming to terms with that. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, mean, I think that's a great definition. Pat, Patricia Deegan is um, a woman who had, has recovered from schizophrenia and she, she's um, a PhD and she does a lot of advocacy work. And she would, you know, I mean, I can't quote her verbatim, but she would say that the recovery is... Um, being the person who you're called to be, the never to be, never to be repeated, you know, unique individual uh, you are meant to be. Yeah. Hmm. Now, now I'm still going to press you a bit further on this because uh, you mentioned jobs, people that sense that people want to fulfill their lives through jobs, through employment, having mm -hmm. their services, their value recognized in terms of money. Now that sounds that isn't capitalist greed. That's just a realism of our society that if people value what they do, what you do for them, they'll pay you for it. Mm -hmm. Now, how realistic then is in the kind of mental health issues you've been talking about, and I'll say hello to the dog, <laughs> uh, the, how realistic is it then to talk about jobs as uh, an objective for the lives of recovering people recovering from the kind of mental health challenges you've been talking about how realistic would that be? it is it is incredibly realistic this you know this kind of goes back to that prognosis of doom that somebody gets diagnosed with a psychiatric illness and then they're given this notion that they can never work and they can't have a job and it's it's just not true it's just not true in fact i would argue that <laughs> what's going to prevent them from having a job is having people tell them that they can't have one and that they can't, you know, 
excel and do things that they want to do in life. So I think, you know, I think one of the biggest problems with psychiatry is that it can be a really, really big hope killer for people. And that's toxic. Now, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this particular segment, but I'd just like to feed back to you the word hope. Um, Hope is vital throughout all of this, and you mentioned it, and I just want to support you in mentioning it, because the sense that recovery is as you, you and I, I think, have got a consensus about, meaning making the best of what you've got, achieving what you want to achieve, um, and if a job is what you want to achieve, achieving that. Uh, but it also may mean that the people who employ you have to make some kind of adjustments to what, uh, how, how you get to work, uh, the kind of work you do, um, how they um, adjust to the point that from time to time you may have to take time off, that kind of thing. And then it also applies to the family caregivers who have got to be breadwinners in the family. Um, right. They may have to take time off. So there's a kind of adaptation go- that goes along with the hope. Now, um, I'm going to run out of time, so I have to stop at that point. But I hope we'll get back to this a little bit later on. So we'll take the break because we've got to. Um, this is the time. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guest is Krista McKinnon. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels, CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio, and SharingTheBurden.ca. Please stay with us. We will be back. It's time to take a new look at some of life's changing moments. It's time to listen to an expert who has been there and can provide insight through experience, studies, and enlightening guests. Tune in to Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets. Host Lindsay Levinson takes a look at relationships, parenting, health and wellness, divorce, depression, sexuality, philanthropy, and mental health. You'll look at everything you know in a different way. Illuminating Now, Lindsay's Life Secrets, airs Wednesdays at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune in to the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Listen for Matters of Design with celebrity designer Dimitri Christian Skirakis as he explores the dynamics of interior decorating. Imagine your personal style and ideas being shaped by our guest experts as they highlight a mixture of home furnishings, lighting, textiles, and fashion from around the world. If you've ever had difficulty trying to plan how to do it yourself, why not collaborate with a designer and wind up with results like you've never dreamed of? Matters of Design can be heard live every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to 
to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista McKinnon. Our topic is online support for family caregivers caring for mental health challenges. Now, I want you to tell us about the support that's needed um, and that you provide for recovery. We've talked a lot about recovery uh, in a very important, if I may say so, way. Um, Now let's have you tell us about the types of support you require, you provide because you think it's necessary and important for recovery, for recovery from mental health issues experienced by individuals. Krista? Mm-hmm. By individuals? Uh, well, it's funny because I used to, as I uh, worked for a family organization that provided counseling to caregivers, and the way we were funded was we were only allowed to work with the family, not the individual who was who it was had a diagnosis or was you know technically the one struggling with mental health issues, and we would you know we all thought it was ridiculous, and we would do our um we would do everything we could to work with the the person the identified patient you know the one who's who's apparently struggling the most um, and you know the ways the ways in which we did that sort of covertly um and, the, and still now, when I, how I work with people who are in recovery uh, is often from the perspective of um, planning your wellness. So there's something called RAP, Wellness and Recovery Action Planning, which, it, which was created by peers. So it was created by people who, who have recovered um, and who are in recovery and who know what it's like uh, to be psychiatrically labeled and to struggle with mental health problems. And um, basically, it's a system by which you map out your wellness and the things you need to do well, and what do you look like when you're well, and you know, um, so that. So when I work with people who are in recovery, I often work from that perspective around personal responsibility for wellness and um, sort of, you know, how do you manage your wellness? But it goes deeper than that. I mean, that's a really shallow because underneath it all is identity and who you are in the world and what do you feel your purpose is and. So, you know, on a surface level, it looks like planning your wellness, but on a deeper level, it's really about, you know, what is the meaning of life and who are you? <laughs> so, yeah. Would you go as far as, so far as to say that it's also a means to empowerment? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Because people are told they, they, people are taught to be dependent when they're diagnosed with a mental illness. They're taught that they're sick that they cannot trust their own brain and their own mind and that they need other people to make choices for them because other people can see whether or not they're doing okay. And that's an incredibly disempowering way to live your life, to believe that. I mean, how, how can you live an empowered life if you believe that to be true, that your mind is sick and you can't trust yourself? Yes, and they, you can't make your own decisions. Right. Or that if you do make them, they're going to be wrong. That kind right. of negative thinking. Whereas... Yeah. The recovery that you and I are discussing is the recovery of realizing your potential and mm-hmm. therefore anything from a kind of recipe or hints and tips or something that gives you ideas about how to do it is going to be valuable. But it's also going to be respectful, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Of course. And I mean, it's about navigating, you know, navigating your madness. And some people really feel like they have a gift that the the thing, the things that were labeled as mentally ill are actually a gift that they just need to learn to manage. 
So, you know, me, I, I have a diagnosis of bipolar disorder that I entirely reject. And I live my life very well. I have, I have a beautiful life. I love my life. But, you know, I do stay, I mean, I, I stay up like two nights in a row working nonstop because I have boundless energy. And then yes. I crash, you know, yes. and, I, and that happens in my life. And it's okay. I'm not sick because that happens to me, you know. Yeah. So it's all in sort of how you manage who you are in the world. And, and, and finding, finding ways to non-pathologizing ways to, to just be who you are. Like, yes. it's okay, you know. You can, yep. you can learn to listen to the voices and not have them control your life if you hear voices or, you know, any number of things. Yep. Same question coming up, but now it's um, the support you provide for family caregivers to help mm-hmm. them and to help them with their family members' recoveries. Mm-hmm. Kristen, what uh-huh. do you do for- I- I, I love I love supporting families. I love supporting family members. So it's a really it's a really interesting role to be put in because when family members come for support, often they they come from the perspective of there's this person in my life that needs help. Like they have a problem and they need help. And <laughs> you know, you the trap with family work is you could spend an entire hour talking to somebody about all the things that person who needs help should do to get better, which doesn't help anybody because the only person that can do those things is that person, you know? So in supporting families, it's really about uh, having them identify what their own emotions are in the situation, um, having them identify what boundaries they need to set in their lives with the people they love. Um, sometimes it's about crisis planning, you know, um, so that, so that in the event of some kind of serious crisis, there's a, there's a plan in place. I mean, it's, it can be really helpful to do that. Um, often I'll meet between family members. So sometimes if, for example, a mom and a son, I get a lot of mom, sons combos and the son will talk to me and express all sorts of things to me very clearly about what he wants out of his life. And then the mother will express to me very clearly all the things that she wants. Um, but they, you know, they don't know how to talk, communicate directly to one another because there's so much resentment and anger. So sometimes I'm playing a mediator role. Um, right. but I would say the most important thing that I do is I offer inspiration and education to families because they, I, I believe that family members are incredible agents and incredible forces of support and healing for people in recovery. But I think they need to learn how because often they're, the instinct, the instinctual way to respond and the way that the doctors in the um, medical model will treat families to respond is not always good for the relationship. So, you know, I I believe families need to be educated, not just in the medical model of what is mental illness. They need to learn communication skills. They need to learn how to let go. They need to learn to manage their own emotions. They need behavioral skills for their own selves. They need to learn to cope with their dark emotions, mindfulness skills. I mean, it's hard work being a support person for somebody and, and you gotta, the skills that you have to develop um, will benefit your relationships with the people you love, you know? Yeah. So. Yeah. so my next question is what role do you see for spirituality in recovery by individuals from mental health issues and in supporting their family caregivers? Krista. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that what's lovely about spirituality is that it takes life and it asks people to consider the deeper meaning behind what is happening so you know we all especially in busy north american society get caught up in the daily grind and all the things we have to do and the traffic and the hustle and bustle um, and spirituality 
uh, kind of looks at life from a bird's eye perspective. So um, when very complicated uh, emotional things are happening in a family, like psychiatric labeling and mental health problems, to have that bird's eye perspective, to kind of step outside of yourself and think, wait, there's some kind of meaning to this. This is bigger than my ego. You know, there's more than just me and my ego involved here, my ego and I. Um, so I think it can be, I mean, and everybody's spirituality is, is spirituality. There's religion. I mean, it's a complicated question um, because there's such d- diversity around what, what even the word spirituality means to people. But at its most basic meaning, you know, I think spiritu- what spirituality does is it helps people to find meaning in the madness, you know, helps people to like, why is this happening? And um, why is this happening to me and my family? And it helps people to put it in a bigger context. It creates possibilities for explanations, you know, as to why this might be happening. And, and not only that, it also creates possibilities for how to tend to the suffering that's happening, you know. So, because spirituality is often linked to community and um, it's linked to solitude and quiet and prayer. And all of those things are, are tools, you know, wellness tools. Would you go so far as to say that it's linked with hope? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I can say that in my practice of, of counseling families, uh, the, the families that, that have um, a spirituality that sort of is the thread running through their life, their lives, um, they tend to have an easier time with, with dealing with the complicated crisis and all the things, you know, they, they, because, because of that ability to put it in a context and step outside of their own, their selves. So, yeah, I think it's, I think it's incredibly helpful for people, but, but some people just, it's not their thing, you know, I mean, it's not for everybody. (laughs) Some people are very agnostic or atheist and they, and they also just, you know, they, they're very scientific or, I mean, I don't, you know, for some people it's, they just, spirituality is fluffy, you know, silliness and, but there are ways that even, even people who believe that, I think, you know, they might not call it spirituality, but there are ways that they can use the tools of spirituality in their lives in a way that works for them, even if it's not quote-unquote spiritual, you know? Yep. Mm. I'm still asking you about spirituality, but in another way. Okay. Is it that sense that there's something beyond? That is to say, I'm here, I'm living with a, a condition. I know that Nobody's going to come up with a magic cure for it. I have got to live with it. And yes, I am making some progress, but at the same time, it's very tough going. Is, it, is the role of spirituality, uh, or one of the roles anyway, to convey the message that there's something beyond, that there's something that we can be looking at and looking at for things like hope, things like healing in a spiritual sense. Mm-hmm. Um, do you accept that or am I going yeah. too far? No, no, I, that's, I absolutely accept that. I think that's completely true. I think that's, 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 a really, that's one of the greatest things that spirituality has to offer us. Yes. I mean, I'm just going to respond to you very quickly. That's what I'm he- hearing, in, in, particularly on this show, is that sense of when everything seems lost, and from a medical, social, any other point of view, uh, everything is gone. Then the feeling that maybe there's something else beyond that mm-hmm. 
gives me some sense of hope, some sense of support, because mm -hmm. that that's very important. Because what that means is to come back to me with that message is saying, don't give up hope. Keep on what you're doing because it's worth doing, and there's something beyond. Mm -hmm. Now, once again, talking of something beyond, we're at the point where we have to the take the break so we'll do that now so here we go this is dr gordon Atherley, and my guest is krista mckinnon you're listening to family caregivers unite on the voice america variety and empowerment channels cjmp 90.1 fm community radio and sharingtheburden.ca please stay with us we will be back Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, president and CEO of the wellness community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Are you ready for an Anything Goes hour-long foray into politics, pop culture, and societal tribulations? Then look no further than Between the Synapse with host Mark Tobin. Each show features nationally or internationally prominent guests discussing topics that go beyond the usual daily news, sometimes even way beyond. It's a weekly fast-paced hour that you won't want to miss. Call in to join the party. Between the Synapse airs live every Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, Back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Krista McKinnon. Our topic is online support for family caregivers caring for mental health challenges. Krista, I want to ask you about what more you would like to do and what more you would like to see done to improve enhance support for family caregivers to help them help their family members' recoveries from their mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So first of all, what more would you like to do, Krista? Me, me personally? Whoa, I have so many me. things I would like to do. So familieshealingtogether.com is the site through which I offer classes. Um, and right now, there's there are two classes, Recovering Our Hope, which is an eight-week class, and Recovering I mean, sorry, Recovering Our Families, which is an eight-week class, and Recovering Our Hope, which is a six-week class. Uh, but what happens is people take the class, and then the class, and they, and they develop a bond with the other uh, participants in the class and a community, and then the class ends, and then there's nothing. I mean, they can do coaching with me, but they, they've kind of lost their community of people who they've been talking with and exploring these ideas with. So what I would love to do next is um, create a forum on the site so that there's, on, there's an ongoing space for people to connect privately. Um, so I know there are lots of forums on the Internet, but um, in my experience, sort of, um, 
to have a private kind of password protected forum is a lot safer and, and better and facilitated. I think it needs to be facilitated, which is a role that I would play so that I could keep the conversations um, rooted in the, the recovery materials and the recovery concepts that they, that they've explored in the classes. That's, that's where I want to go next with the families healing together.com. Great. Ongoing support and community. Yeah. Yeah. In other words, you don't, I'm not being unkind when I say this, you don't just cut them off. Right. Carry on because their struggles carry on. Your support therefore should carry on. Right. Now, Going to ask you, it's the same question, but it's what would you like to see done and by whom would you like to see it done to enhance the support we're talking about for recovery? Krista? For families, in in the family, yeah, well, I think that there has to be a very big change in the way that families are educated. Uh, um, There are some key players in family education work in North America And they are often heavily funded by the pharmaceutical industry. So, I mean, if I could make one change, if I had a magic wand and I could make one change in families, education and support in North America, it would be that nobody would be allowed to accept pharmaceutical money. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Um, Because because inevitably the um, education that the families receive is biased and is colored in a certain particular way. Um, And... You know, I, I think that families absolutely need to be educated about the medical model and about um, pharmaceutical drugs. But when when education and organizations are sponsored by the pharmaceutical industry, it's it's basically a very clear conflict conflict of interest. And it's kind of amazing to me how often people don't even know that that conflict of interest exists. And that's not fair to families. Perfectly fair. Now, I'm going to ask you a bit of a pointed question. Do you reject the idea of all pharmaceutical treatments for mental illness? um, Or are you able to accept the idea that there may be some of these pharmaceutical things that are actually useful? Mm -hmm. Krista, I know that's a difficult question, but what do you think? No, it's fine. I I think that pharmaceutical drugs can be incredibly helpful. I'm, 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 I'm actually in favor of people accessing the tool of psychiatric medications when they're in crisis. Um, If they take it and it increases their quality of life. I mean, for me, the question, um, I I have a problem with the industry, not specifically with the drugs. It's more, my problem is more with the industry. (laughs) But um, but the drugs themselves, um, I think, are, are a tool, just like talk therapy is a tool, just like yoga can be a tool, like exercise and eating healthy can be a tool. I mean, they're one of many tools and they do. I mean, I have friends who say the medications save their lives and I believe them, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm definitely not anti-medication. Um, I'm more just pro-choice around it because I think that the problem is the medication gets really, really pushed on people and sometimes unnecessarily for, for longer lengths of time than is required. If I can make a value judgment about your question, about your answer to my question, that's a very Mm -hmm. fair answer, Krista. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Very fair. Now, I have another question of a broader kind. What's your message for family caregivers and families experiencing mental health challenges? What do you say to them, Krista? Um, I'm sorry. Actually, you cut out a little bit, so I didn't hear the question. Okay, I'll do it again. What's your message? for family caregivers and families experiencing mental health challenges. What do you say to them, whether it's what you say on this show 
directly through the show or whether it's the message you want to get out much more broadly to the communities you're supporting. So what is your message? Mm -hmm. I would say question everything. Question everything, deconstruct everything you're taught and everything you learn from everyone, including me. (laughs) Um, And, um, you know, listen to your intuition. But on the other hand, sometimes you you have to make hard choices that don't feel good. Um, And I would say to surround yourself as much as possible by hopeful literature and hopeful people and choose your friends wisely. What role, in this question of your message, what role do you, would you ascribe to people who have traveled the road themselves um, and are, let's say, experienced? In other words, they've traveled a good distance down this road of family caregiving um, mm-hmm. in the situations we've been talking about. Um, well, what about the people who are just stepping out on that road when the family member has just been hit with the diagnosis or mm-hmm. everybody's come to understand that they're dealing with something pretty serious? What, what's your message for them? I would say to um, pay attention to all of the information and things that are happening around you and things that people say, but to also ah, take a very conscientious and thoughtful stance on opening and broadening your perspective. So to always remind yourself that you don't have all the information, you know, even about your relative, you might, Oh, you know, he's doing this terrible thing. He's going to mess up his life, but wait, you don't have all the information, you know, (laughs) like, so in every instance, so these drugs are, you know, this new drug, this antipsychotic is going to be really great. Let's, let's, let's put, the person who's struggling on this antisense, wait, you don't have all the information. It's just to always be aware, to be looking, you know, because we have, we have tunnel vision for things that just come into our field of vision. But there's always, there are always, there is always more information on the periphery that you, I think, have to make a conscious effort to go find. I'm going to put another tough one to you. Krista, you have turned your experience on traveling a particular road and turned it into giving back to the community in terms of services that uh, you know they find valuable. And in fact, a moment ago, you were saying you want to make those services longer lasting Mm -hmm. uh, than they currently are. So what about other family caregivers like you who are wanting, and I'm going to put it this way, to put something back in light of their own experience to help others who are traveling the road. Where, where, where do they fit into your picture, your message? Um, hmm. Well, in terms of, I mean, if you, you know, to get to answer this question in a fun way, if I do big visioning about where I would like to see Families Healing Together go, I would love to see support groups popping up all over the world that educate families from a recovery perspective. So for people, I mean, a lot of families take the class and, and kind of have a, a change of worldview around this, you know, um, and, and, and then they're very inspired and they want to do something with that. And people have gone off after taking the class and independently in their communities created little support groups, but there's no structure supporting them. So 
you know, big vision, what I would love is for there to be a structure that supports families getting educated about mental health recovery and about self-care and about strengths. Because right now the, you know, that's, that's where the, the other, the, the thing about getting pharmaceutical funding is that then you have funding, you know, you're able to build an infrastructure because you've been given some money. So that's, so that, that, and then that's the kind of education that becomes dominant. So, so exactly. somehow, you know, to find a way to have an infrastructure in place where people who get family recovery education and want to share it are supported and trained and, and you know, given opportunities to develop family education groups all over the world. That's, that's the message. Dream. That's, that's my message. dream. Yeah, yeah that's my great. dream. Well, unfortunately, we've come to the end of this wonderful episode. So thank you, Krista for sharing with us everything, your own experience, your insights, your advice, and your vision for the future. And I want to say to you, all success to you in the work as you're now doing it, and all success to you in achieving your vision, because it's important. Thank you very much. I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And with Family Caregivers Unite, we're starting a new research project called Qualitative Research. It's to find out what you, our listeners, think about important topics such as the one we've just been listening to. So please email me if you're interested or you would like to be involved. Our next episode will be Healthy Eating for Family Caregivers. Please join us. Same time, same spot on the Internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 